Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you have a story you want to tell us about something paranormal, something strange, or if you know of a story you think we should cover, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. Well, on tonight's show, mm-hmm. we're back after a long time. It's a long time away. Flannel Man's coming back to us. Where has he been on vacation? He's been going to other podcasts, apparently. A lot of other podcasts are having fun. I don't know if he knew, knew that he was supposed to sign an exclusivity contract. <laughs> I, he, I think he... I actually, he left one in my bedroom in 1995. <laughs> we should have uh, made him sign that. Uh-huh. No, I'm, I'm happy. No, he's a free agent. He can do what he wants. I'm happy that the flannel man is spread around. Obviously, I've said it, you know, it's around before we start talking about it. But uh, it's cool that it's popping up everywhere. And I am working on the book, but it's going to be a while. I also feel like the more he's seen in other places, the less likely it is that he'll arrive back in my bedroom. <laughs> or maybe there's more flannel men's around. Oh, like a Santa Claus kind of thing. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, so we'll be talking with Erin tonight about her flannel man sighting and some associated weirdness and UFOs she's seen, and so forth. Before we talk to Aaron, though, just want to remind everybody about 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy, our wonderful sponsor for wonderful puppies. If you'd like to develop the perfect relationship with your puppy, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you and your puppy become perfect for each other. If you're having trouble with potty training, fear or nervousness, barking, chewing on furniture or shoes, crate training hyperactivity issues, leash training, and more, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy is your solution. They can teach you what to do, but perhaps more importantly, what not to do. That's a lesson that I frequently... (laughs) Sometimes that's the most important lesson. That is the most important lesson, yeah. What not to do. Check them out at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Don't forget they have online sources, a secret Facebook group where you can interact with other puppy owners and members of the Perfect Puppy staff. There are one-on-one options available. Check it all out. Again, that's at sithappens.us. Look for that 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. 
All right, so let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Aaron. Tonight we are talking with Aaron, who has a flannel man story and a sort of black dog story. And if I'm not mistaken, a few theories about how it all relates. Is that right? Well, at least some patterns that I've recognized that I think bear mentioning so that other people can put their thoughts uh, on that as well. But yeah, some, some curiosities around that. All right. Well, I know you said you had like a maybe flannel man experience from your youth. Do you want to start with that or do you want to start with a more definite one that was later on? Um, I think what I'll do is I'll start with the the very definite most recent one. Okay. That sounds good. So this took place in 2017. It was May. Um, I'm not certain of the exact date, but I do know that it was the full moon in Scorpio. And I know that because I was on my way to get a ritual tattoo at the end of a really long weekend. I had been in the city of Portland on behalf of this uh, workshop that I had gone to as part of the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft that I'm involved in and a part of. So this tattoo was meant to really kind of signify some personal adversity that I had triumphed over. And... I was staying at my friend's Airbnb, kind of, it's on Main Street in Portland, kind of in the Hawthorne district. And this is important because this is nearby where I had my sighting, which is a very urban setting at rush hour. So I was at the Airbnb at the end of this really amazing weekend with a a group of people. And I was waiting for a friend to visit, really busy single mom who only had a second to kind of pop by my Airbnb, say hello, and then she was going to drive me to my tattoo appointment. So she and I just had our quick visit. And as it turned out, the place we were traveling to was essentially a straight shot down um, headed, I guess that would have been west from where we were, where I was staying. So I had to travel about, I don't know, maybe a mile, 16 blocks at rush hour and we're on our way to the tattoo parlor and about, I don't know, I'm thinking like three blocks ahead. I see something really odd on the side of the road. So I'm in the passenger seat and I'm seeing this up ahead on the left side of the road. As I said, it's probably five thirty or six o'clock and I'm in the inner east side of Portland, Oregon, pretty busy urban area. And I am watching this come into view as we're driving closer. And then we are at a busy street. And I looked on the map earlier and I wasn't positive. Might have been 12th Street. So that's a busy one way because we were stuck there for a little while. And I am sitting across the road looking at Kitty Corner from me. A man, all dressed in black, had black cowboy hat, black sunglasses, black jeans, riding a black stallion, a huge black horse, black boots, black stirrups. Everything was black with the exception of his red and black checkered buffalo plaid shirt. 
And my friend Crystal and I are just kind of regarding this person. It's sort of like when anything to me, ultra paranormal has happened, it's it's also occurring in the moment. It's like I become hyper aware. This is unusual, but it is still happening. And so, you know, by virtue of that fact, it's not completely unusual. But also, and and I will also say that someone being on horseback in Portland and in, in rush hour traffic wouldn't be unheard of entirely. But I, I was talking with some friends about this recently, and they said we don't even have mounted police in Portland anymore. So. That just seems highly irregular. And Crystal and I just fell silent and watched this person or whatever they were just standing there perfectly still. That was the strange quality. They weren't moving. The horse wasn't moving. They were looking ahead, expressionless, just staring forward. And eventually we were able to cross the intersection. We went through the intersection. And as we drove past we're in a sedan sized vehicle and this person this entity whatever mounted on horseback is up pretty high above us so as we went past all i could really see were his boots in the stirrups i remember looking very closely at the stitching and seeing the detail in the boots and just how everything was completely black except for the shirt that he was wearing and so she and I just looked at each other. She kind of turned as we're passing him and we've just gone past him and looks at me with these eyes as big as saucers. I'm looking at her with these huge eyes. We know this is unusual. We can't exactly put words to why. However, I mean, for the, all of the obvious reasons, I was kind of in a heightened state. I mean, I'm going to get tattoo work done. If you've ever had tattoo work done, you're kind of already in this altered mindset I had spent three days in really intensive ritual space the edges were already feeling blurred and I think if she hadn't been with me I could have you know almost I don't not not necessarily ignored it but just kind of chalked it up to my heightened state of mind to begin with but the fact that she was there witnessing with it with me was pretty pretty incredible. So um, she dropped me off, and um, some other friends joined me at the tattoo parlor. I remember telling them about that, and my husband was driving to join us as well. And when he got there, he got he came into the the studio, and he was wearing the buffalo plaid shirt, the red and black checked <laughs> shirt, which was pretty crazy. And he had said that. Um, he had even he'd had this black cowboy hat in the car. He'd he'd been on a long road trip and he was going to wear that because he was driving in from Montana and um, he said it was just too warm. He couldn't wear it. But yeah, so that was pretty, pretty interesting that that that's kind of when I started noticing this pattern of duplicities of, of doubles showing up. And I happened to be getting that ritual tattoo was a vesica pisces so two intersecting circles on my back and again there's you know this dualistic nature this double kind of quality mm-hmm. so as i mentioned i this pattern started emerging and i hadn't really heard of the flannel man phenomenon until earlier this year a couple of months ago and it was on another paranormal podcast that i was listening to i heard an ad for your podcast and the um, submissions around flannel man and i thought oh that's really interesting something about that sounded like i wanted to unravel it and learn more 
And so as the further I went down that rabbit hole, the more I started noticing, well, a lot of things, but this pattern of two, things happening in twos around it. Yeah, I kind of dove in there pretty deep because I was I just really was so curious to find out more about this and and seeing as I had had this what we I guess would term a secondary type of sighting. I wanted to hear more experiences of that and I and so that's been interesting and I listened to the most recent one. And that I th- I thought that was really interesting because it kind of ties into this other theory that I had. I'm not sure there is a connection exactly, but it might just be like part of the apparatus of how things make themselves manifest in this time and space and how we see them. Because I heard someone describing somewhere along the line of listening that they sometimes describe the flannel man as appearing like um, alignment, a telephone repairman. And when I was a little kid, I had a shadow man sighting of an entity that was, you know, blacker than black, standing on the the landing of the hallway upstairs in, in my family home. And I remember I had woken up and I kind of had this bargain with myself that I would get out of bed and go get into my parents' bed with them. Something woke me up and scared me. And eventually I ran out of their bedroom and I walked through the hallway and I looked down on the landing and there was this enormously tall, very large, broad-shouldered, big black silhouette, blacker than black, um, standing in front of a window. So there is a window there that streetlight will stream in through or even moonlight depending. And that was all blacked out by whatever was standing there. And I recognized around their waist, they looked like they had a utility belt on. And all these kinds of things hanging off of their waist. And they were holding something in their hand. And they looked startled like they had been stopped mid-motion. I couldn't see any facial expressions. And I'm going to guess I was maybe, I want to say four. I'm not positive. But old enough to remember this. Old enough to know there was something askew. Something about that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. But also not old enough to like truly freak out and, you know, scream or something like that. But it scared me. And I remember getting in to bed with my mom and dad and just kind of burrowing as deeply into my mom as I could. And in my mind, I just kind of kept trying to put it together that it looked like a telephone lineman, a telephone lineman. That's all I could think of. So, I, you know, I had to be old enough to know what that was too. So anyhow, hearing that described in someone else's encounter was really interesting to me. And as I kept seeing this pattern of the twos coming up, I was getting kind of freaked out because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to see this flannel man again. (laughs) I mostly hear people say one and done. And um, I would prefer that maybe that would be my story here. But just with this, the number of things coming up in this duplicitous fashion, I just thought, oh gosh, until I heard that description. And I thought, oh, maybe my shadow man's experience was really actually, you know, possibly a shadow or a flannel man or just something about how in our brain we're perceiving something that's there, however that works, and only being able to see parts of it. That doesn't explain the reason that they're decked out in all manner of flannel and plaid. Right. (laughs) 
No, that's super interesting. Yeah, we do get, I think, you know, of course, Lumberjack is the number one thing. You know, people say it was like a Lumberjack. But yeah, like a lineman is the other description you'll get. Mm-hmm. People often say, yeah, he was dressed like a, like a telephone lineman. So yeah, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, and that was just only going off of the silhouette of what I had seen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it took me a few listens. And, so a- that- and actually, that most recent Flannel Man report that you referenced for, for, I mean, who knows when this will be published, but at the time we're talking, the most recent Flannel Man that been on the show was uh, a fellow who's seen, who saw multiple Flannel Men walking alongside the road, and uh, one after another, or the same one, he wasn't sure. But it said he had a, a shadow face, like the, basically mm-hmm. the face of a shadow person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I listened to that, I was I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say I have a, like a, a working theory here or anything like that, but I do see that there could be a connection. Well, these patterns are the way we begin to notice things. And as, you know, someone who writes paranormal books that's a big part of what i do i look for patterns and i try to you know see if they they bear out any any other information often they do you know so Mm -hmm. this this is sort of the way i like to work so so it's something that's very appealing to me sometimes not much comes of it and sometimes it opens up whole new avenues of things the fellow that was on the horse did you get to see his face i did look at his face yes from across the street for a while, I would say, let's call it 25 to 30 seconds before the opening in traffic came for us to actually go through traffic. Mm-hmm. So from across the intersection, um, he was Caucasian. He was youngish. I would put him in his 30s, clean shaven, definitely black glasses that I, d- I wish I could say I knew exactly what the frames were like, but they were almost sort of sp- Sporty, almost more like oak leaves would be or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with a cowboy hat, it was a little bit different. But he was expressionless. And so, what did you say? 20 to 40 seconds, you said? Yeah, yeah I, mean, it's, I mean, it's hard th- to say. But That's a good long time, though, for someone to remain still, if you think about mm-hmm. it. True. And maybe that's what we were registering as about as so odd about this individual and this horse, as, apart from the fact that there was a person on horseback in the middle of rush hour traffic. Right. But yeah, they were just staring straight ahead, motionless. And the horse was likewise motionless. Yes. Yes. The horse wasn't moving either. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So you often ask people about the black dog sightings, and yes. that was another thing that came up when I was devouring the content about Flannel Man. <laughs> this goes back to around the time of Katrina, so I'm not entirely positive, or the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Eugene, Oregon, and I was in kind of like this row of houses this neighborhood was like a post-world war ii neighborhood so there weren't alleys just a lot of like single story starter homes all the backyards were fenced in and all of them were lined up together so fairly small lots and houses two bedroom houses on them but the point is there was no alley behind the house and there all of the yards around my house were fenced in and not really great at estimating spatial 
oh amounts, but it was you know your standard smallish suburban neighborhood lot. So not not anywhere near enough room for something to get up a running speed, especially if they couldn't get in there. So um, the morning, a certain morning around the time of the hurricane, I had woken up from this really vivid nightmare um, where I had actually been in New Orleans and I won't get into all of the details of that dream, but I, I was having, it was kind of one of those experiences that was perhaps more, maybe less of a dream and more of something else. But um, I woke up very startled from the dream because I heard the sound of a dog, a vicious sounding dog tearing through the backyard of our house and barking at my bedroom window and my husband and I both ran out into the living room, which was, you know, just down the hallway and around the corner and looked out into this backyard. And of course there was nothing there, but there was no possible way for that to have even happened. So it was definitely just this extremely loud sound that woke both of us up and it sounded like a dog running at a very fast speed barking at the house. And months later, I can't remember exactly how much time had passed, but we were relaying that story to some friends of ours over drinks. And the next morning, the same thing happened. Hmm. After we had told the story, the same kind of vicious sounding dog, you know, woke me from sleep and my husband and we ran out into the living room and of course looked out into the backyard and there was nothing there. So that was very much an auditory experience, not a, not a visual sighting, but that's always been a strange mystery. I, I think for me, when I started to dive into the to the stuff about the flannel man, I just started finding different threads that I hadn't heretofore seen or found in the amount of research that I do in the paranormal and trying to learn more about it, just in a general sense, because it kind of dovetails into a little bit of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so it's, it's kind of just something I'm always paying attention to, but this just got, it was so personal and so different. And as I started looking at more of just what these symbols tend to be, or these coincidences tend to be, or whatever they, you want to call them, right. it well, started piecing more things together about my own history of paranormal experiences. When you talk about you know, telling the story and then having the event occur again, kind of rings a bell with me because... My wife's, uh, you know, flannel man, the the thing that kind of kicked us off, uh, kicked it off for me, you know, realizing it was a thing some years later after she, she had seen it, happened the night, it was the first night I ever told anyone other than, than my wife, who, who was not at the time my wife, but would become my wife, about my alien abduction experiences. We had a, a good friend and we were hanging out with him that night and I don't know, weird stuff came up or something and I told him and he was the only other person I told because it was a uh, very odd thing to open up about and and people were you know often not kind about their reactions to it so I just didn't tell a lot of people and I finally I guess I just felt you know close enough and safe enough with this particular friend to finally kind of open up about it and it was you know we came back from from his house and we're staying in Allison's parents' house, and that's where she had that flannel man experience. And for years, I carried guilt with me, thinking that she sort of had that bad dream because she listened to me tell the story of these other entities, these greys standing over me. 
And I thought, well, maybe she, you know, like that translated into her flannel man experience. So it's very, very interesting to hear you, you telling the story of the dog experience and then, and then having it again after telling the story. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. Who, who can say it? Like I, my mind begins to spin out a thousand theories that I, I couldn't even possibly begin to back up at this moment, but it is very curious because again, just going back to those patterns and of course, that sort of tendency to have a subtle communication with the other world or with these unexplained mm-hmm. or unexplainable things. I hear that described in a lot of different ways. And this is a form of it too, I think, which can be a little unsettling, you know, when you look in the, in the void and it looks back at you or <laughs> when you notice them, they notice you a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to hear you bring the UFO component into it because I've had some of my strongest kind of telepathic experiences with what can only be described as UFOs. Before we move on, can I uh, just ask a couple more questions about yeah. the Flannel Man experience? Please. So we've had some other of these, I, I call them like type A and type B or type 1 and type 2 Flannel Man experiences. The, the first type being the kind my wife had and probably the most common. People wake up and he's either there or they wake up and go get a glass of water and see him uh, more like your your lineman that you uh-huh. saw, you know. And then there's the second type, which have become my favorite over time because they're, they're just stranger. And that's more like your horseman, where people will just see someone in buffalo plaid or, or flannel that seems out of place. There's something not quite right. There's a chance it could be a real person, but they, the witness impression, and this is what I want to hit on, how important witness impression is in the paranormal and how much we rely on it. And I don't want people to discount it. Because these people, for whatever reason, are sure there's not something right about this person. There's something different. There's something strange. Even though, well, yeah, it could have been a real person. I guess it could have been a guy. And that's, you know, it's very much like what you're describing. Like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe it could have been a real guy there on a horse standing perfectly still. But something wasn't right about it. And these, like I said, these have become my favorite because they're very strange and they're out of place. And it really comes down to witness impression where people remembered it for some reason. There was something about it that was strange enough, more than just a guy in a flannel shirt, that impressed upon people like, yeah, there was something about him. There was something different here. I just want to go back and hit on that one more time about your impression and why it stood out to you that it wasn't just a guy on a horse or or it was something you know, to be noticed other than like, oh, ha ha, there's a guy on a horse in traffic. I think it's, it's really subtle. For me, I was already sort of in a little bit of a, in between worlds, just Mm -hmm. coming off the weekend that I was in and getting ready to, you know, get a back piece and all of that. I think that all that is super important. You know, uh-huh. when we talk about liminality and these these headspaces we're in when these things happen, I think that's a super important detail. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it was kind of like, I think when when my friend turned to me and looked at me with her eyes as big as saucers, mm-hmm. and we were both just sort of awestruck by it, mm-hmm. and knowing that there was something so peculiar about that, that this, while certainly 
I suppose he could have been there. What was this individual doing there? And they they almost seemed to be costumed. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, like we are out west, it, and it is Portland, and right. so right. people can be costumed in a variety <laughs> of ways. But I would also, you know, venture to say there was something energetic around it that was undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, it caught my attention from far away. And I watched it come into view. And it was, I was sort of almost watching myself watch it come into view. And I think, you know, in the, in hindsight, when we've, when I thought about it and talked about it and noticed how very still this, I want to almost call it a tableau, like this thing that was this iconic archetypal image. Um, you know, standing there. And for me, you know, without getting into too much personal detail, as a shamanic practitioner, I had done a lot of work, journey work with horse, actually, that pertained to the tattoo I was getting. And so to see horse there. Wow, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And see this person, um, I think that that might be, for me, more about what I was kind of really, I'll say, tripping on. And because I I am in these liminal spaces for myself and the work that I do, I mean, I have, I've had some strange things happen. And again, I've had them happen enough where I can develop that awareness of myself watching it happen. Mm -hmm. And sort of knowing like, this is like, take note of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it's weird. I can intellectually understand it's weird. And so I'm almost there's this detached third person view that almost starts to just immediately record this and take note of it. Mm-hmm. And when the other when things from non ordinary reality, as we would term it, from um, shamanic work, show up in ordinary reality so strongly and so undeniably, it's it's um, exhilarating it, at best. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm. But it's also kind of like, whoa, it works, or oh, right. this, is, this yeah. is real, this is happening, this is a crossover. Something about this is this is very unique because this doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, I know it. I know that feeling. I'm actually getting getting chills because I, I'll use the Site Seven lights as an example. You know, I've seen them multiple times now when I've gone out to this location. And when I'm not there, it's so easy to reason them away and go, I don't know. They were maybe it was some weird reflection, or I'm seeing you know lights from however many miles away or something. And then you get out there and you see them, and they're just undeniably weird. And you, where they're occurring is just there's nothing there. There's just a hillside there. And when you're there, it's like, oh yeah, this is this is weird, and this is unexplainable, and this is you know this is something pretty amazing so i i know that feeling and i really wanted to come back to that again to the to the idea of of witness impression because someone maybe not now that we've addressed it but if if we didn't address it someone would have emailed and said she just saw a guy on a horse that's all that was there's nothing special about that for sure it looked like that and also what the hell (laughs) right exactly and we have to in the paranormal rely on witness impression because mm-hmm. so many of these things can be explained away as, mm-hmm. as nothing. You know, those lights I talk about in Site 7, yeah, I can, you can explain them away as nothing, except you really can't. I mean, I, I can't. I cannot explain them away as, as anything 
natural or, or man-made or anything like that. But if someone wants to be a, a hard skeptic and they want to say, ah, you're, you're, you know, you don't know what you're looking at. You're okay. I can't, you know, I can't argue with you too much. Uh, mm-hmm. e- every Bigfoot sighting could be a mistaken bear. If you want to be that, that hard of a skeptic, you can say, you know, people don't know what they're looking at, the, you know, whatever. Uh, so if we're going to take witness impression out of the equation, we really don't have a lot to talk about in the paranormal. So that's why I, you know, I kind of want to come back and hit on that because I believe it's incredibly important. And I and value mm-hmm. for me, like as someone who talks to people every week, witness impression is incredibly important to me. Just the idea that a you've experienced other weird stuff, so you kind of know that aura of weirdness that's mm-hmm. been around it. But even beyond that, even if you hadn't, even if it was the, this was the only thing in your life you'd ever experienced that was strange, it was strange enough for you to like take a step back and go, "What?" And likewise with your friend who was with you, you know, she certainly recognized it as something out of place or other as well. Absolutely. And I'm, I think that I'm, I could easily just have put this on a list of peculiar things that I've seen, but the fact that she was there with me and, and I witnessed her reaction to it Mm -hmm. really kind of put this in another category of, yeah, that's, this is definitely something outside of either of our norms. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Have you in your life, ever experienced sleep paralysis? I have. And can you guess how many times? <laughs> <laughs> I, I Twice, really? Twice. Wow. Only twice wow. ever. Um, when I lived in Seattle, it was like 94, maybe 95. Um, I was sharing a studio apartment with someone and you know, they had the futon in the living room and I had the walk-in closet as my bedroom <laughs> and this old apartment building, who knows, like probably from the twenties. Yeah. I had two incidents of sleep paralysis while I was sleeping in there. And I was also aware of an entity in that, in that closet with me after this had happened two times, I realized that there was something else in there with me. Um, and I moved out of the building shortly thereafter, but mm-hmm. I no, I'd never ever experienced it before since. It's Thankfully, it, it is very very interesting how many people have had these experiences and also sleep paralysis. Again, it's one of those things. Don't know how it ties in, but I feel like somehow it's tied in, not as an explanation for this stuff, but somehow linked to it. Right. Yeah, I do too, and um, I think that part of the reason why I don't experience that any longer is that I am just very, very psychically guarded. I just have to be as a nature, you know, due to the nature of my work. And so I'm, I feel very well protected in my Citadel, but that was a a learning experience for me about, I think, you know, just being open and unaware. I just wasn't aware. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty young. I was, you know, 18, 19. Mm Mm-hmm. So for me, since then, I learned a lot more about being able to clear energy space and also have personal protection. But I just feel very fortunate that hasn't been an issue because it was really, really unsettling and terrifying. Um, Yeah, it's very unpleasant. (laughs) mm -hmm. I am not a fan at all. Yeah, very, very much so couldn't move my arms at all. I was completely awake. I could, the phone, it was back in the days of answering machines. So the phone rang and I could hear someone leaving a message. Oh, wow. On my answering machine. And I was completely awake, but I couldn't move at all. 
Wow. You don't have any recollection of, was that message anything special or unusual when you did check it? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think it was my roommate's dad calling or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something fairly mundane. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so weird, though, to be when you're locked in that sleep paralysis. It's just such a weird feeling. For me, for whatever reasons, it seems to have passed. The last time it sort of happened, I, you know, I prayed myself out of it. That's a whole other thing. That, that But uh, I think what you're saying about, you know, protecting yourself and so forth, I think that it sort of applies. Uh, and we've talked about mm-hmm. it before. It seems like there's a belief element in this, and I don't know whether the other, capital other, is allowed to confirm or deny anyone's religion, but it seems like this stuff kind of works across the board, no matter who's, you know, what religion, what belief system you use. It seems like uh, prayer or, you know, whatever protective measures you take spiritually, it seems Mm -hmm. to work across the board, which, you know... Trying to look at it logically, I don't think it's confirming or denying anything. I think that I just think there's a belief component to it. Yes, I agree. I think like the mechanism behind that is asserting your personal will because we are the ones in the bodies. I do believe that we possess um, more power than I think many people in large part, I think because of some of their religious or spiritual beliefs, they think that we're kind of in the lesser form and that that spirit is kind of this elevated sort of thing in, you know, these many, many, many different worldviews and religions kind of put the, the, the physical on the lower end of that spectrum. I don't see it that way for me. I'm here to have a physical experience. I'm here to be in a physical body. And I believe there is an enormous amount of power in that, especially when it comes to dealing with the other. So um, when I do encounter it, I have entrained myself to be brave and also to assert, depending on where I am, you know, um, because I think there is etiquette to it. But, you know, there are <laughs> rules in my own home of, you know, what I will and won't allow. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, the the discussion of etiquette is huge. You know, don't go being rude or and looking for trouble and then being surprised when you find it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, f- like folklore bears that out for hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we have a lot of stories to warn people about this. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, and, and when I honestly, when I've gotten in trouble, I'll say, you know, when when sort of negative things have happened. 100% of the time I can point to you where I broke the rules in folklore where I can say like okay here's what folklore says about this and here's where I broke the rule and this is like the scary stuff that happened because of it yeah and so in this age of what I call spoogling which is you know a lot of little baby witchlets consulting grandmother google for their <laughs> <laughs> their whatever yeah like there's it's it, I'm I'm not going to knock that entirely because it's still a form of of initiation and there's still a need for it. But um, I just encourage, you know, sobriety. Be very, very careful. But it's it's okay to play and it's okay to make relationships with the unseen. But yeah, you like how how does one do that respectfully? that's an entire that's a huge conversation but it's another show but uh, yeah like i said (laughs) there are you know we've been handed these rules through folklore and through these various traditions and it's amazing across the board like you know some a comparative folklorist some looking at folklore from all around the world and it's amazing how much 
the folklore essentially says the same thing. And it's like you said, don't be rude and don't go looking. You know, there are certain basic, you know, rules or, or I don't want to say rules because there's no absolutes, but essentially there's things to do and not to do. And they tell you the consequences when you don't do them. (laughs) And it's pretty consistent in the folklore around the world, which is, uh, you know, this is wisdom passed down. This isn't nonsense. This isn't fiction. There may Mm -hmm. be fiction elements to it. But uh, just like, you know, in traditional folk songs, I often say, you know, they're going to tell you which plants are poison, which plants are going to heal you, et cetera, et cetera. This is wisdom passed down. There's also wisdom passed down in dealing with these other things, these unseen things or these seldom seen things around us. And uh, in my experience, at least, it's borne out. Like I said, when things have gone bad, it's because I've uh, broken these rules well, fortunately, you know where to look for them in your folkloric studies. And um, that's because of our ancestral connection being broken. So many people don't, they just don't know. That's part of that compounded loss of what we don't have because we have lost so much of our ancestral traditions. Yes. Um, and and a yeah. lot of it, this is me sort of, retro, you know, retrospectively looking back and go, and then reading the folklore and, and realizing, you know, so, you know, I mean, I didn't actively at the time no but looking back right. going oh okay i did this this and this and, right. and here right. it says explicitly do not do this this and this i'm what's coming to mind is my um you know three months of whatever in the hell we conjured with the ouija board in a group of you know eight 13 year olds of whatever you know <laughs> like yeah. there's lots of um contemporary folklore that warns sure. us against that but we still wanted to taste that strange poison, and so we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's enticing. It's very, very enticing. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So if you're willing, I'd love to hear these UFO stories. Okay. Well, I'd love to tell you. Um, I live in a you know, small, small city, large town that has an Air Force base in it. And um, 
This happens to be the sighting of the Marianas footage. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the um, Marianas film from 1950, but that's some of the first UFO, if not the first UFO footage that, you know, exists. And the, the man who took this film was the general manager of the baseball team here. And he was happened to have been a reporter during the war. Um, he always carried a Super 8 camera with him. And one day when he was leaving work at the ball field, uh, he looked over the river and he saw these strange, two strange spherical objects in the sky. He filmed them. Uh, dutiful citizen that he was, he sent this off to the Air Force. And what came back to him was a strange edited film um, of swamp gas that <laughs> they, you know, sent back to him. So there's that sighting. And then there's another sighting at this air force base that is interesting because what I have seen here very, very, very strongly resembles these two different types of sightings that have a precedent here in this town. So several years back, my husband is, he loves to watch for the Aurora Borealis. We're far enough north that we can kind of get a good view of that. If if it's, a, you know, the Optimus, what is it called? Optimus Prime, I think, is what I always want to call it. But I think that's Transformer. Um, this um, computer simulation that will tell you if it's if you have a high chance of seeing the Auroras. Right. So we just looked north, and I could see them from in town, and I knew we could go, and we would still get a good good opportunity to, to view them. It was cold. It was winter. So we headed out. It was a regular work night, but it was late, so it was probably after 11 or 12, so middle of the night. There wasn't going to be anybody else on the road out there. And we have a spot we typically like to go. It's pretty much just wheat fields around where I live. It's kind of a river valley and wheat fields, and we're on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So it's prairie land, but then we, you know, right up to the dramatic rise of the Rocky Mountains. And where we were, you know, it's a place I've been going since I was a little kid. So I'm really, really familiar with the geography. And we had gone down the road at least a mile, maybe two miles, pulled off on another road to stop and watch the auroras for a while. And as I said, it was kind of cold and they weren't that dramatic. So we decided to go back home. And we're as we're driving back, I'm looking up north, kind of keeping my eye on the auroras. But then I'm also seeing this really odd red light that my mind is trying to logically make sense of it because I'm looking out over wheat fields. It's dark, but I know those are just wheat fields. And the only landform that would warrant something being on the, kind of up on the, what looked like the horizon like that seemed like it was at least another mile down the road. And not to mention the fact that it was a red light coming towards me so i kept saying why is that motorcycle driving backwards down <laughs> the hill <laughs> i couldn't at all understand it but again like logically my brain is trying to make sense of this so we pulled off the road one more time to look at the auroras i wasn't really paying attention to that at all and i showed that to i then pointed out to my husband what i was looking at and um, we got back in the car and continued on our way. And we had just lagged enough by pulling off so that we altered the trajectory. Like whatever this red light was, this orb of red light that looked like 
an LED more than anything. Like, so that's the quality of the light. It was like mm-hmm. a laser like light. Mm-hmm. Just, it kind of floated. It moved like a bubble and it wasn't making any noise at all. So we had slowed down just enough, whereas like it would have flown just over us. We had paused our journey for a moment so that we watched it go in front of the car. And I had my eyes locked on it as I'm watching this ball of light pass over the road. My husband is driving and all of a sudden he says, there's another one. And he watched another light turn on a crystal white light. This one wasn't red like the other one. So he watched that light turn on and it all kept moving over us. So it was heading south over us as we're heading east on the road. Completely bizarre. And what was even stranger, we didn't really speak of it. We got, we felt, we just Mm -hmm. got quiet and we Mm -hmm. came home and a day later, we sort of found each other in the house in one afternoon and said, I think we saw a UFO. Hmm. Not really sure what that was. So we drove back out to where we had been because there is a small hill. It's where a shooting range is, but it's you know a quarter of a mile off the main highway. And where I had seen that, we had been three or four miles off the road. I'm like, there's certainly no way I already knew that it wasn't a vehicle Uh, a land-based vehicle, but it was so um, peculiar to me because it was only maybe 150 feet off of the ground. And I think what I was watching was something come in at a sharp angle, something descending towards the earth in an angular fashion, not coming straight down, but I was watching it float down towards where we were for a good few minutes as we were driving along Um, And then when it passed over us on the road, it was probably only 50 feet above us. Oh, that's fairly close. It was very close. Um, How how big would you estimate it was? It's hard to say. Um, I remember talking with my husband about it, and he was saying, like, that had to be the size of, like, a giant SUV. Oh, so, yeah, okay. All right, gotcha. Or a small shed or something to be that bright and that big. But it was pure light. There was no way to really understand it. Mm-hmm. So we had that sighting. That was really kind of weird. I wrote it all down. And the, that was in the maybe the spring. And then that entire summer that followed, I started seeing these balls of light, even in town. And I live you know, downtown in kind of the old town side of the city I, am, I, I live in. So I'm in an urban environment but I was out in my garden and I would just look up and I would see these balls of light when I see them in the city they're more amber colored I've never seen another red one and I've never seen another shockingly white one but I've actually lost count of the number of times that I have seen the other ones and I would have like we would get suggestions almost it sounds it seems like a suggestion I wanted to go out to one of the rivers around here and we were kind of deciding on which one to go to and I decided where I wanted to go and my husband said that sounds great and then we kind of both had this hunch we were going to have a sighting there and lo and behold we did. It got to be actually so persistent you know I, I would be outside and it would kind of just I would get this 
notion to look up and there would be one of these orbs of light. So I would see them all the time and I started to get annoyed by it. <laughs> I started to get actually pretty irritated by it. So I told them to, I told them to stop. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I did. I said, you know, you can knock that off now. Cause I'm, I don't know what you're about. I don't know what this is. I don't like this. So I happen to know um, Joan Bird. She's a ufologist. She's a UFO researcher who lives in Helena, Montana, and was at a women's conference with her. She needed a room to bunk in. I had an extra bed, and I had been wanting to talk to her because I had wanted to tell her about these experiences. So I, I downloaded all of it to her, and she was very interested, and she suggested that I resume a dialogue with them and see what happened. Hmm. So I did. And they started showing up again. They started coming back. Interesting. So even last summer, I was outside. I, it was late at night, and I was kind of just enjoying the quiet. And I said something, you know, sort of telepathically suggesting that I would like to see one before I go in. And nothing happened. So I, you know put everything away for the night, went back inside, went up to um, our bedroom, went to bed, got in my bed, and I woke up from sleep and looked out the window. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I see this orb of light flying past the window. And at that point, I thought it was like, that's a little too close for comfort. <laughs> I'm not sure I like Joan's suggestion. And and I have no idea what's going on. I really don't. But um, as I mentioned, I'm in, I'm in this Air Force, this town where there's an Air Force base. There's this history of the Marianas footage. Um, there's another account of the, a ball of light, much like the red laser-like light that I described, mm -hmm. that came over the back gate of Malmstrom, of the Air Force Base there, and kind of spooked the guard, spooked the commander of the base. There's an account of that. I don't know the name of that one. But I will say this. This does. This is kind of an, an, a nice pin to put in it. In the mid-90s, I was in school at um, Montana State University, and this gentleman came to speak as part of the campus lecture series, and he starts his lecture by reciting a date and a place, happens to have been my birth date to the year, and the place, the town I was born in, this where I am right now. That's how he starts his speech. Um, I don't want to give all that away, but anyhow, no, um, <laughs> and he had been the commander's son at the, the base here and had been in the control room twice when effectively the base was shut down. Like they, they had unidentified objects come on the radar and then they lost communication with the missile silos. There's a, um, midget man missile operation here. Um, they lost connection with the missile silos, and then the base lost power. And this happened twice when he was a young boy, and he had been somehow allowed to be in a control room. So when he became an adult and the Freedom of Information Act was passed, I wish I could remember this guy's name. I'm sure if we researched him, we would easily find him because he's you know made a life of trying to unravel this mystery of what he experienced and there's this pattern uh, all around the world of military installations having a, particularly um, nuclear capabilities or, or bases with nuclear capability having this happen to them. I don't know what all that is. <laughs> I, I really can't say, but I will say that in my experience of living in this place with that precedent, with those other 
incidents having happened um, and having some of my own sightings, I definitely think there's something going on. And I do think it is connected um, to the missiles in some capacity. But the highest number of sightings in the state where I live in Montana are these orbs and people do see them pretty frequently. Yeah. So that's my sighting. Those are my sightings. I I don't know if you noted it as you were telling the story, but of course your first sighting with the red orb and then your husband sees the white one turn on. That's two. Mm -hmm. And then as you're telling the story, you said this fellow who was in the control room two different times Mm-hmm. Had this happen, so the, the, <laughs> just just noting yeah. that that, uh, that threads uh, run through the whole tale here. Interesting. Yeah, I did not notice that. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend some time unraveling that a little more. <laughs> I, it starts to feel overwhelming, honestly, when when um there are these definitely unique or interesting experiences, these sightings, these paranormal moments that I've experienced. And then there is this corroboration like with the other footage and um, this other sighting, the more I've kind of encountered it, Mm -hmm. that there is proof for some of these things. It doesn't, it still does not supply an answer. No, it it, it doesn't. And it's almost like the phenomena wants to just tease us a little bit. And sometimes it wants to seem like it's, you know, a very physical thing in the sense of a UFO, like a craft or in the sense of Bigfoot, like a like a natural animal, and then it'll turn right around and in some other way prove it's absolutely not. Yeah. It's, it's like it's playing with us, or it's, again, maybe not allowed to confirm one way or another. You know, I, I wish I had the answer. I don't know, but uh, it's certainly fascinating. And when you describe that LED light, if I know what you're talking about, because, again, those Site 7 lights, that's, that's how I describe them. They're not... They're not bright, though. They have the character of an LED light. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the same. If it was the same for you. I would say outside of the city lights, they had a much stronger LED light quality when I saw them without any city light around. And in town, it's almost as if the city light sort of obscures a little bit of that crystalline quality or whatever it is that makes that light so refractive. Yeah, yeah. And it's more muted and amber-like. But what's so notable is the way they move. They float. Mm-hmm. They they look like they're on a uh, like a wave of air, like a, a riding a thermal almost. Mm-hmm. Very very strange. And they all, it also became so commonplace that it wasn't strange at all. And I feel like I could get off of this call with you and go hang out in my backyard for a minute and. I didn't see one tonight. I'd probably see one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you do readings and stuff. I don't know if you quickly want to drop the website and promote that on the show. You're certainly welcome to, or we can leave it out. It's up to you. My website is thetellingofthebees.com. And I am an earth medicine practitioner. So I work primarily one-on-one with people to hold counsel with their guides and with spirit on their behalf. And we design rituals together. Usually they want to demarcate something they're crossing a threshold or they're working on manifesting something or they're doing personal healing work but i also teach a lot of practical magic skills like gardening by the moon and house magic and all that kind of stuff too and what's your website again the telling of the bees.com awesome aaron thank you so much for sharing your stories thank you for having me timothy it's been great talking with you 
Here we are in September. There'll be another Patreon episode coming this month. We're headed quickly to 60 patron episodes. So if you sign up at Patreon, you can get access to those almost 60 episodes right away. And any new episodes we do, you'll get them as soon as they come out. Patreon really helps us make the podcast. We can't make it without our patrons. So as we do every podcast, I want to thank our patrons for their help and their support. We literally couldn't make the podcast without you. If you want to help us, check out our Patreons, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Check out all the different levels of support there. You can start with just getting the extra episodes that we put out via Patreon every month, but there are different levels. You can get things like signed books and t-shirts and stickers and so forth. There are also now yearly membership options. If you want to sign up for a year and you save, I think it's 10% for signing up for a year. All of it's a huge help. All of it keeps the podcast going. Again, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a subscription like Patreon and you just want to help with a one-time donation, go to the notes under every episode at strangefamiliars.com. Look for a paypal.me link. You can make a one-time donation there. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. Before we talk about our photo of the week, I want to give a shout out to TJ and Nicole. They're going through a hard time here, and I just want to let them know we're thinking about them, and everyone can send some positive thoughts and vibes their way. They could definitely use it right now. So photo of the week. This time I'm actually managed to be on theme, which is amazing. It's not a flannel man. No. Well, we don't know. He might be wearing flannel under that coat. I'm doubting it. <laughs> but he is on a horse. Is that fox hunting gear he's wearing? Some sort of fancy person horse riding paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. So it's a man on a horse? And a male horse. It's pretty obvious as well. <laughs> If that helps sell it for anyone. <laughs> it I can't imagine it's a deterrent. <laughs> the horse moved his tail. He did. Yeah. It's a mounted photograph. Now I'm going to guess the year, and then you will tell me why I'm wrong. Okay. Because I no doubt will be wrong. I'm going to guess this is 1910. Yeah, I was, that is exactly what I was going to say. Wow, look at that. Because it's mounted in this way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not your typical cabinet card. It's, it's Yeah, it's just a little bit later. But it's a man in a field riding a horse. It's very, like I said, very kind of majestic pose there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people who know horses will know exactly what particular breed that is. But I really like the play of like the shadow and the sort of glossiness of his coat is really nice contrast in this photo. Yeah, really, really cool. This will be in our Etsy shop. If you go to the show notes under this episode, you'll see an image of this photo. You can click on that. should take you right to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this for... Lucky 13 $13 plus postage. Check out other photos of the week there. We have a few others that are left from previous episodes. And very soon we will have a general photography section where we're adding antique photography. Images that might appeal more to the Strange Familiars family than to public at large. And that's from Allison's vast collection of antique photography. So that'll be coming soon there. There's also artwork in the Etsy shop. We just got in prints of the cover of Where the Footprints End, full-color prints. They turned out really, really well, I think. I'm really, really happy with the way they look. All the detail and the color just came through wonderfully on these prints. I think they're 13 by 17, signed by me. 
perfect for framing. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and get them at our Etsy shop. I finished another one of the handprint illustrations I've been doing. I've been using them as the icons for the episodes. People have been liking those. All of those have sold so far. I did another one based on the white mask-like face I saw or thought I saw in Pandemonium on a tree. So that's actually based on something that we talked about in the podcast. So the original art for that is up in the Etsy store, and I'm always adding more artwork, more original artwork in various price ranges. You can check that out at our Etsy shop. Link is in the show notes, as always. It's shop name, Lost Grave. It'll be pretty obvious it's a strange, familiar shop. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it for this week. We will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Join us September 25th, 26th, and 27th for a three-day special streaming event, Strange Realities, to push the limits of your reality. Featuring authors, academics, researchers, occultists, experiencers, podcasters, and practitioners. All presenting fresh, cutting-edge material and research. Streaming live. Featuring presentations by Brent Rain, editor of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. Aaron Gullius, host of the Saucer Life Podcast. David Metcalf, writer and researcher. Alan Greenfield, author of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Stephanie Quick, writer and blogger. Red Pill Junkie, 14 researcher and explorer. Tim Banal, host of Banal of America. Guy Malone, iconoclast and troublemaker. Timothy Ritter, host of Strange Familiars. Kiki Dombrowski, author and practitioner. Greg Bishop, author of Project Beta. Jenny Ashford, host of 13 O'Clock. Recluse, host of The Farm. Jack Montgomery, folk magic. Joshua Cutchin, author of Thieves in the Night. Reverend Michael Carter, alien contact experiencer. Dr. Future, host of Future Quick. Tony Kale, author of Memphis Hoodoo. Rin Collier, occultist. Soraya Ascap, host of Where Did the Road Go? John Tinney, Ghost Stalkers and Hell. All three days, only $20. Tickets and info available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Brought to you by the Conspiranormal Podcast. Conspiranormal.com. Strange Reality. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We talked about Wilderness Geist on the last episode, by the way. A lot of people message me and they're like, what is that wilderness thing you were talking about? Wilderness Geist is an album I made. It has the fancy subtitle of a sonic ritual for summoning the other. That sounds very, very magical. Right? Right. And you can find that at the Stone Breath Bandcamp people were asking. So it's stonebreath.bandcamp.com. It's got Stone Breath, it's got my solo stuff there, and it's got Wilderness Geist as well. And that was featured on Hellier, right? Yeah, yeah. That was the soundtrack to the last episode of Hellier Season 2. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. And we were on Instagram, at strangefamiliars.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save